0: is your
1: host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper, and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show. It's great to be back with you. I mean, I, I am, I am ecstatic to be back with you. Having, as some of you may be aware, having had um, just had a second surgery this year, uh, which um, wasn't in ten, intended or expected. The first one went wrong, so I just think I've had seven hours um, on the operating table this year, which has been uh, thrown me slightly. And um, but also, I think you know, these, these situations, when they happen, they're an opportunity to really think about what's important and, uh, and realize that you are human and uh, realize you have to overcome obstacles and uh, have a time to to think about your own kind of development and your own kind of leadership. And so but definitely get, get uh, sort of gifts in all of this. Um, and one of the gifts and the opportunities that uh, came about was me taking three weeks off to get myself well was to give the opportunity to Elizabeth Vinberg-Hearn and also Jean Early to host shows uh, with you. Um, we also repeated a show with Hilary Wilson and uh, those shows, I mean, um, people probably are disappointed that I've come back because uh, the interview uh, with uh, Elizabeth and with Gillian um, uh, Haslam um, about uh, growing out of the slums of India was full of inspiration. It was full of, uh, it was full of wisdom, sadness, opportunity, and I got some amazing feedback on that. So, if you're not listened to that interview, I think it was something quite special. So, thank you to Elizabeth Vinberg Hearn and to Gillian, and also Jean um, Early interviewed Ian de Cruz. Um, what does love have to do with it? It was all about uh, sustainability and uh, and and uh, foods and the environment, and again that got great feedback too. So. Um, Brilliant. Thank you, guys. Uh, And if you've not listened to those shows, do and go and listen to them. I know they're great. Uh, So really, really fantastic. And today we're going to talk about the fourth bottom line. We're going to talk about a great book. It's been written by Paul Hargreaves. Paul's been on the show before. He's a a B Corp ambassador. He's also uh, his main role is the CEO. He's the founder of Cotswold Fair which is a rapidly growing specialty food and drink wholesale business. It supplies over 1,750 retail sites in the UK. He's also a prolific author now. He's written a book called The Fourth Bottom Line, um, which is his latest one. Um, But I also interviewed him on, I think it's Forces for Good, uh, which was, is that correct,
2: Paul? uh, Forces for Good, yeah.
1: Forces for Good, yeah. Sorry, that was uh, two years ago now. So I apologise for slightly getting the name wrong there. But that was really fascinating interview i remember with paul i really connected with paul and i i love what he was about Uh, i loved uh, the way that he's creating a business that and and has done that people love to be a part of uh, and uh, his passion for b corp for the environment for being a better leader and it's led to him in his next sort of phase to write this book the fourth bottom line and i kind of thought well you know it's about leadership it's about um it's about you know being principled and purpose and having passion and i kind of thought well there's lots of books out there about leadership. You know, why, why is this one special? So I engaged with it. And actually, I think it's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant in that what it does, it gives you the opportunity to think about the qualities of leadership. You only have to read two, two sides of or two, two and a half sides of pages a day on a particular category. It might be generosity. It might be caring or kindness or collaboration. And then um, i recommends recommend to you that you then journal and you, you meditate on it and you think about it. And and I just love that, you know, having that short 10, 15 minutes a day, just really reflecting on a, an important quality of leadership and, and using that to develop and involve. So uh, it's a brilliant, brilliant book. I wanted to get Paul back on to talk about it. Uh, and uh, therefore, here he is. So a big, big welcome to Paul Hargreaves. Thanks for having me again, Chris. Looking forward to this. You're very, very welcome. You're very welcome. And I hear you've had a, another, another crazy busy week this week
2: yeah we've actually done our first trade big trade show uh since covid's uh, which was absolutely mad i think uh, everyone was out enjoying um seeing people again after probably three years actually since that last uh, that show last happened um yeah so busy but exhausting i'm not used to standing up for three days no. uh <laughs> really yeah. <laughs> yeah too much of a couch potato these days but uh yeah
1: I've done them a few, few times with various companies I've worked for, um, motor industry and Mars. We used to have those stands there and people used to come in with big bag carrier bags and steal hundreds of bars of chocolate when you weren't looking off the yeah.
2: freebies. And Yeah, a, we call them freegans.
1: Just, yeah, just bonkers. <laughs> my, my last one, actually, I, I, um, that I remember, I think I've done one since, but I, I found myself, I, I was the first person to put vending machines into Crufts many years ago, which okay. is a dog, dog show. Was it vending
2: uh, machines for dogs or for humans?
1: It, for, for humans. So it was okay. It was snacks and <laughs> confectionery and, uh, and, and drinks. And uh, it was a really, I mean, I'm just, I was walking around dogs for three days. But uh, on one instant, the, the, the organisers of Crufts um, asked me to remove a bank of vending machines so they could extend one of their doggy hauls. And we just didn't have the people to do it. The, the, the company were off on the Sunday. Uh, and I was told that I had personally ruined the enjoyment of thousands of uh, visitors to Krupp. So I will never, forget, never forget that pasting down. <laughs> and I never went again.
2: <laughs> have you had a dog since, or not?
1: I've got a dog. Yeah, he's uh, fine. Okay, but yeah. uh, I've got hundreds of dogs. No, no, uh, it's good. So tell me, tell me, Paul, what have you been? What have you been doing since our last interview, which was just over two years ago now?
2: Well, yeah, because it was—it was just around either just before lockdown or just after it started, wasn't it? If it was March 2020, goodness. Um, it seems like a lifetime ago. Um, well, straight after that, so you, you know, we all went through the period when we wondered whether we'd actually have a business <laughs> when everything locking down. We we thought a lot more of our shops might have to shut than it eventually did of course they were all in you know general, apart from the garden centers, they were, they were all allowed to to stay open because they were counted as essential uh, shops. But the initial wording from the, the government here in the UK was that only supermarkets would be allowed to stay open. We don't supply supermarkets, we supply independent retailers. So there was a few days of extreme nervousness around, but, um, once we got through that, we've been incredibly busy. Um, generally what happened during covid was people chose to shop more locally chose to shop in their local independent retailers which are generally smaller less chance of infection than a large supermarket and people were integrating a lot more into their communities so since march 2020 we've actually grown the business i think it's about 2.4 times so um, massive growth uh, which is great Uh, slightly Weird in a way, because I've got a number of friends in other industries who obviously didn't have such a uh, had really difficult times. Um, but yeah, our challenges were there, but there were challenges of, of growth rather than uh, wondering how we were going to survive. So in addition to that, um, we actually opened our own, become one of our own customers. So we've opened our own food hall and restaurants um, in the Bristol area. So we, we were building that started, I think, in April 2020, completely mad. Um, and it's now, it completed uh, just over a year later, June 21. And um, yeah, that's where I am today, actually, at our food hall called Flourish.
1: Brilliant. And how many people do you employ
2: there? Here, there's about 50 Um you know there's about 30 full-time equivalents quite a few part-timers but the the place is open actually 84 hours a week so it's got as many employees as the wholesale business um because it's a lot more i've realized a lot more labor intensive doing serving food to tables in fact when we first opened um You know, really hard work. In the end, we just set a date and we're going to open anyway. So we opened, I think there was one toilet out of, one customer toilet out of five that actually worked. Opened up, um, absolutely exhausted, collapsed at home for a day. And then myself and my wife thought, well, yeah, let's go down, see how they're, they're all getting on first weekend, Saturday morning, and we'll do a bit of meeting, greeting and check the team's all right. Well, got here and there was queues of people waiting to get in uh my dear wife uh not dressed for it spent the day sorting out the warehouse which had already turned into carnage after after a couple of days of opening i spent all day apologizing to customers for bad service because we simply did not have enough uh front of house staff uh the queues were getting longer the chefs weren't coping it was um absolute carnage but uh the food was good no one ever complained about the food so uh once we'd managed to recruit another twenty or so people in the first couple of months, we uh, got the service as it as it should be, but it's really difficult um you can't over recruit when you open a new place, so uh we'd seriously under recruited and just didn't have enough people but uh it was just it ended up opening just at the end of the lockdown, and uh, people were desperate to get out and eat and do something other than sitting on Zoom calls. Uh,
1: yeah, it's, I think it's, I mean, I'm just seeing the parallels with we've had uh, Stephen Gould on the show before. Reverage Brewery, that's in that's set in the archive. If people want to listen, it's a great great interview as well. And uh, they did something similar—a brewery, but they built a, a beer hall and they've got uh, probably similar levels of staff and they serve amazing food and they've got cafe on the site and a cycle shop and various things. Completely new sort of venture which was something I was very very involved in um for for 18 months with them and uh and exactly the same as you that uh, you know it, it's a new area isn't it? it's a new new sort of discipline and it's and it's a bit different uh, when mm. you've, got, you've got you've got retail and you've got uh, you're serving food and you've got uh, staff members who some of them it's um they're a bit more transient than
2: yes yes that's that's true although I think um more clearly than ever the fact that we make it very obvious what we stand for in terms of our values and the way we look after people and and the planet. I think that became even more important in terms of recruiting good people. So I I did, yeah, yeah, I was worried about this. Um, So you're right to highlight it. I was kind of slightly concerned. Would we get equally good people as we had in the wholesale business? There's not a single person here who came from the other business. So it was brand new. Recruitment is too far away. Um, it's about sixty miles away from the, the wholesale office, but they absolutely get it. I mean, they're generally under thirty five, most of them, but they they get what we're doing, and they want to work for companies that are making a difference. So I think uh, in the well, I think we're in the days of what's called the Great Resignation now, aren't we? Uh, people are struggling to get good people. We absolutely haven't had that problem, which is. Um, is great and uh i think companies that do nail their colors to the mask and you know set out to be good caring employers are the ones that are are doing okay at the moment if not better than okay
1: yeah that's great and i guess you've got people like whole foods to example probably um maybe you could you could draw drew upon as well did you
2: well i'm not sure they're great employers but um are they i don't know I just, they're got by amazon great,
1: they've got now, a great but... story haven't they
2: when they set up originally yeah absolutely yeah. but uh now they're owned by amazon i think the oh, culture's okay. uh, changed a bit oh, okay. but uh <laughs> <laughs> so let's, yeah. let's, talk,
1: let's talk a little bit about um i know the other thing you're, you're very passionate about is is b corp uh and you're an ambassador for b corp which uh, i think you know also links those principles into the the book, you know, how how's B Corp changed the way that you do business?
2: Yeah, so well, if it, the the main thing that's changed about B Corp over before I answer your question over the over the COVID years, as we think we're calling them, um, certainly in the UK the growth has been exponential. So I think around the time of COVID starting, there's about two hundred and fifty B Corps in the UK, and now there's over seven hundred. Hmm. So the, to get from naught to 250 to <laughs> took about six years but uh, it's trebled during then so there's a much more awareness of the of the b movement um but for us i mean it, it continues to challenge us you know the way it works is that you, you you obviously have to be of a certain level to to get over the line and and be certified but you're very very aware through doing the going we we go through the process every year, we don't have to, you're only actually certified every three years, but we, we do it every year. Um, and it, it's very clear through that, you get to see all the, the areas you're not scoring points in and, and uh, how you could be better, in effect, better for the community workers planet. So yeah, we 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 try and do something new each year. Um, no. Bit more challenging in in uh, 2020 due to COVID, we're probably struggling to um, just keep up with the business. But this year we introduced um, well 21 22. Uh, we introduced well, uh, if I call it compulsory volunteering, it, it doesn't sound quite right, does it? Okay. But um, it, we we basically pay people to volunteer uh, for a certain number of hours each year, and they they kind of have to do it because it's part of their job. Um, which has been a great thing actually for people getting involved in their communities. And there was a, Mm. most people are into it. There's there's one or two who are a bit cynical about this, but um, the two that were particularly thinking of uh, coming to mind now I've done it. And they've both written me emails to say, I'm pleased you made us do it because I'm, I absolutely loved it. Um, And actually one of them loved it so much. She's actually doing, the volunteering in a in our own time now so um yeah it's uh that was our, our kind of latest thing we we did 12 hours last year we've actually put it up to 16 this year so if you add all those hours together 16 times around a hundred that's uh, quite a lot of impact in the the local communities uh,
1: yeah it is isn't it it's it's quite um I, I sort of kind of volunteered for something a few years ago um, working with a very different diverse range of uh, people and it was quite scary actually just you know just because of completely out of my my comfort zone
2: yeah and that's one should... of the reasons I, I wanted to do it because i yeah was... i mean i uh, you know i kind of oh, right. got into this through our work in africa which we t- probably talked about last time we were involved mm-hmm. in a school and orphanage there and um, i know you know the idea is we go to to change them as it were but actually often it's the changes in the other direction and uh you know it's just so so much of a privilege to to meet people who are so different for us have nothing and yet they're incredibly generous kind and loving people um and i I, that had a massive impact on my life and uh when we give out to others we always get back don't we
1: we do do. hey we're going to go to commercial break now but after the commercial break we're going to uh, talk about about your book, about the fourth bottom line. And we're gonna uh, start to look at some of the, you know, the characteristics that you think are particularly important to, you know, great leadership uh, in this, you know, compassionate, caring, loving leadership in this, um, and, you know, this, this world just feels like it needs more and more of at the moment. So do join us after the break uh, and we'll really get into the the nuts and bolts of this, uh, of, of Paul's thinking about, about leadership and about this important, fourth bottom line and we should probably just have a quick chat about what the other three are as well (laughs) so people are clear so we're back again with you in just a couple of minutes
2: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
0: would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential chris cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you.
2: Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
0: You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Paul Hargreaves. We're talking about the fourth bottom line. So, Paul, tell us, what are the four bottom lines and what's the one we're focusing on today? (laughs)
2: <laughs> so well, the original three bottom, I mean, the, the triple bottom line model is, is 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 nearly thirty years old now, and that's that's quite well known as as people, planet, profit. And as you yeah. put people and planet first, you get more profits. That's been our, our uh, you know that's been our reality really. So, but as I that, and that's really what I talk about in the first book, Forces for Good. But as I was writing that book towards the end of it, I kind of realised that that we can't really i mean we can have we can set the attention to do this and we can kind of do some of it but we can't really do what we need to do on that without some level of of change inside us and um us becoming in my case uh, as a business leader being a more compassionate generous leader and undergoing that transformation inside so that's what i call the fourth bottom line it's it's it's, it's a made-up thing from for me but um it seems to seems to resonate with people i think it's people's general experience that as they aim to give out to others they need to to draw on uh, greater inner resources and um yeah so that's that's what the fourth bottom line is fantastic and so what what made you write this book why right? So, well, it, I started writing. It must have been actually um just around the time of our, our last uh, podcast, but um obviously had 3 months coming up well, what we didn't know it was 3 months of lockdown, but suddenly my diary from being very very full went to being mostly empty. <laughs> everyone working at home and um I didn't really have much to do. The company, you know, has some great people and they they run the day to day. We were incredibly busy, but in terms of what i was doing i was really just meeting up with people and checking they were okay so i and at the same time as that it was very very polarizing what what was going on in terms of leadership so we had some fantastic leaders of companies who were this is before any government help was announced they already announced they were going to pay their staff full wages even though they they couldn't work and at the other end of the spectrum, without mentioning any any companies by name, there was some really appalling leadership going on of uh, you know very grasping, uncaring leadership. So this I'd had this kind of idea for the book for a while, but it seemed like a good time to to to, to you know write about the fifty qualities that I've seen evident in good leadership, and that's um, that's how the book emerged. So I'd really just thought and meditated on a, a different characteristic each day for around 50 days. I probably had weekends off, and um, the book book came out of that. Fortunately, it was glorious weather in the UK, so I um, I wrote most of it sitting sitting um, at a table in the garden, which was lovely. Very
1: good. <laughs> and how, how did you how did you decide upon the 50?
2: Well, it was only going to be 30, well, 31, actually. I thought I'd do one for each day of the month. Mm-hmm. Um, but as time went on, um, did they just kept coming. Um, uh, I could have done more if I thought i draw the line at, at 50. I did actually do a poll, on, not a poll, um, a kind of post on, on LinkedIn um, and asked people without mentioning any of the chapters, give me a – Leadership quality a good leadership quality in in one word you know an uh, an ad- adjective which the chapter titles are and lo- lo- well received posts lots of views and pretty much got everything i got in the book book apart from one um and it came back magnanimous well I did actually have to have to google what what it meant um but it was kind of covered in two of the uh, the other chapters so <laughs> I, I decided to leave magnanimous out <laughs> <laughs> i can just
1: imagine you've been there with 49 and it was <laughs> brilliant so, so i mean there's, there's 50 characteristics in the book and that's quite a quite a, a lot i i i might think you something you said actually a little bit earlier on which was um or maybe maybe it was something I read in the book which I, I, I liked because uh, I think I think when I I started working through the book and and working with them I, some of those qualities I thought well I I do kind of have I do possess that quality but what I think was helpful was um, was just being honest enough to say well actually how far am I going with it mm. and how far could I go with it you know if uh, I know if like generosity is sort of a good a good one and uh, probably with reading your book uh, a, a couple of days ago i would stop at traffic light someone came begging and i went where was well, nobody was giving him anything i round the window down i put some money in his pot you know and that and that gave me a nice feeling and it's i suppose Ooh. it was i probably had tried to increase the frequency having read the book thinking how far can i push it and is, is that how you, you know, did you did you for yourself was there some self-therapy in there for Absolutely. you Absolutely.
2: yes no really i mean it you know i i i picked it up the other day actually and and just read a couple of the chapters and the the action points it is it's it you know the danger of writing a book like that is people think you've got it sorted I very let's be very very clear i haven't um it was as challenging to me to write it as as it is to anyone to read it and and yes some people have i've gone about in the the way you've described you know the day day one doing one day at a time which is the way it's I intended it to be read, but other people have um I know have picked it up and thought, right, where where am I not very good and chosen okay. that chapter to to have a look at that that okay. day. So it doesn't obviously it doesn't really matter. But um yeah, I mean it's a continuum, no one is, is perfect at anything and there's no particular order in the chapter apart from chapter one actually, which is um about being self-aware. That's the only chapter that is it deliberately in in its place and mainly because uh, if you have no self-awareness at all I don't think you'll get anything out of the book at all Um, but everything else is you know there's no one chapter that's more important than another they're all equally important really okay then so let me let me put you on the spot because uh, we've got 50 and we haven't got time to talk
1: about 50 right now um <laughs> haven't we we'll be, we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll be here till saturday morning um but uh if you would if you would have um sort of your the mast on five let's say five you know what would be what what would be good ones for us to talk about today that maybe uh are some some favorites
2: Well, I've got to have to get the chapter titles. This is, you know, this is really just what's uh, springing out to me at the moment. So, um, let's say vulnerable, um, generous, playful, collaborative, and towards the end, authentic. Okay. As I said, there's, you know. There are 45 other equally important ones, but yeah, let's go with those.
1: There's, there's some good ones in there, isn't? There? I mean, uh, vulnerability is a really interesting one uh, that you mentioned first there about being being prepared yeah. to to not be perfect. You know, you you you, you uh, just articulated to us that uh, you're you know you're not the you're not the finished article. You've got uh, which I don't think anyone is, but you, you've uh, were, we're prepared to share that that uh, that vulnerability in leadership is an important quality what do you yeah what do you make of it what, what's what's uh... um
2: well this is probably one that's very much come out of my own experience so my my leadership was let's call it sports field leadership um <laughs> i did used to be the captain of a football team and a tennis team and a rowing eight on various stages of my life i always ended up as being captain for some reason probably because i was incredibly bossy but um <laughs> The sports field leadership is is the very kind of directive, authoritative, but dare I say macho uh, leadership, um, which we probably need to see less of in the in the workplace than we, we have done in the past. So I, I used to think that you know it it was a weakness to to show vulnerability. You know if you were um, a business leader, even when things were going wrong. You know, you were the strong one, you know, might have been a bit like a swan paddling furiously underneath, but no one saw that. It was uh, swanning around and uh, looking like you were in control of what was going on. Now, you know, there is probably a place for if you really are in trouble as a business, there might be a time when you don't uh, get all your dirty washing out. But as time has gone on, we have been through some really difficult times as a business, as any business does. You know, I I haven't got any problem with crying in front of my team, which does occasionally happen. And I think when you, you know, when you show that you are a real person, a real human being, I think you end up being a better leader because nothing worse for people than a leader who they think isn't like them. And they know they cry, they show emotions, they get upset. So, you know, I think they have more, respect first of all but also more importantly trust in leaders that they recognize well oh, they're just like me um and i think that creates a much better dynamic uh within a company within any any organization indeed yeah or indeed family actually i suppose
1: it's very true i always yeah. remember you've brought up a memory of uh, um I'd, I'd used a particular sort of diagnostic on on um a rugby captain um And uh, I, he basically came out as being like you described there, very task focused, uh, mm. and uh, he and black and white, and uh, and the task was more important than people. Yeah, and become very light on the people's side. Absolutely,
2: that. that was me through and through.
1: So yeah. I just don't get, said, Chris. I just don't get this. Um, I work with people, and I'm because I am after all the captain of this rugby team. Um, I, I don't really get what you said, and I said, well. If you were playing a really important final, uh, and you had a player that's a really important player in the team that was injured, would you go over to him and tell him to pull his socks up and get on with it, or would you have him carefully um, assessed and managed and get off the pitch? He said, "If it's a really important game, I tend to pull his socks up and get on with it." And then he just stopped himself and said, (laughs) "You get, you've got me."
2: (laughs) <laughs> nice one! Yeah,
1: um, and I suppose it is that. Um, so it's like a, a male, female as well, and in, in, you know, kind of yin and yang in there a little bit. I think sometimes mm. females are more em- 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 empathetic with people, and absolutely,
2: and yeah, yeah. I mean the, that that theme really runs <laughs> through the book. A lot of the qualities that I write about would probably be described by some people as more feminine feminine not female characteristics Um, so I'll probably over emphasise those because let's face it they've been under emphasised for hundreds of years in in all sorts of leadership we've had far too much of the the macho masculine stuff and not nearly enough of the feminine side of leadership from both men and women Um, so yeah absolutely Uh, we can we need more women in our boardrooms uh, but we also need more femininity from the men in our boardrooms yeah
1: i, I agree with that i think that's uh, really important to say that that feminine quality can be a quality of a man as well as uh you know, it's an important element to draw on isn't
2: it
0: mm, absolutely
1: which, uh, which gets gets missed so so be um be prepared to be vulnerable and share is there a limit about being too vulnerable or is, is there no limit
2: yeah i mean i don't think you want to be bursting to tears every day <laughs> <laughs> uh, although, you know we have been through periods in the business where that might have been uh, necessary but um yeah you know a a a humanity really you know that's that's what i'm getting to here and uh it's okay to to laugh as it's also okay to cry and 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 that we don't have all the answers. Actually, that's the other thing about vulnerability. Um, I think that's one big thing that that COVID has has changed. The days of the experts are, are no longer here. Yeah, it's okay to say you don't have all the answers now. Yeah. I think some people have, you know, pretended they've got all the answers. There are no experts anymore. The world's changing so rapidly, uh, almost every month it seems. So it's okay to say you know again if you're vulnerable it means more answers will come from the others in the room if you're lording it over people and uh being very directive you're not going to get the answers from the room that you you need to hear to to make yourself a successful business or organization
1: no you're only going to get what you what you want to hear and uh, Mm. and people are going to be fearful of you aren't they
2: yeah too right
1: yeah so so the second one you mentioned there was was that's vulnerability this second one was generosity and uh, how how can a leader develop their generosity you know what what is it about generosity that's in, so important
2: well i think yeah most businesses have operated in a, a scarcity mode so they've um everything the numbers runs everything and then if they have any level of generosity, it's, it's after they've spent everything else. I think a much better way of doing it is to start out being generous. And clearly, you know, from good employers being generous to their employees at the start of the year, who knows how it's going to go. But if you if you act generously as a boss, as a leader in, in business, um, you get better people. They work productively. They go the second mile for me, for you. They'll be happier, and guess what? You've got a more successful company at the end of that year. So, yeah. I think too much of business has been the other way around and um, has been kind of squeezing out of people what they can get and treating yeah. them like a commodity. I mean, we have a, a ridiculous term, uh, human resources, uh, which you know shouldn't should be banned in my view. But um, yeah, much better to be generous. To, the, to your people uh, and you will get back and it's it's there's a bit of the kind of Hindu law of abundance in here which I've read a bit about uh, you start by being generous and you, you will get back and most religions in the world have a sense of giving it'll be given back to you or karma or similar things to that and I think the true the same is true now in terms of being generous to the planet um, as, as you're a company that really cares for the environment and do stuff does stuff for the the planet. I think more and more customers are seeing businesses like that and choosing to to shop with them or buy from them. And again, you give out to the planet and you, you will get back because these are the companies that people are wanting to buy from these days. And again, big shift on all that during COVID. Um, it's much clearer now that people are making those buying decisions and um, wanting to buy from companies that are making a positive difference in the world.
1: Yeah. I I really, I really love, I really love that. I think, I think it's absolutely right. I think, you know, what you talk there about companies squeezing, maximizing what they can get um, before they give and, but that's that realization that's what you, you know, give us gain, don't they?
2: Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. And it needs a sense, a bit of a sense of faith to start that because, you know, oh, are we going to run out of money? So you almost need to take a bit of a step of faith and, uh, and and start that journey before you know the results of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And how how do you best start that journey if you're feeling nervous?
2: Well, I mean, in our case, I guess looking at what other other companies have done in that area and and following their example has been has been one way. We've, you know, undoubtedly it's easier to do when you are making profits, but um, and we were doing it here at this, um, this retail business, you know, we would not, we're only been going 10 months. We're not in profit yet, but we are being generous to, to those that are here. Absolutely convinced this is the way to go. Yeah. We could, we probably could have got a, a bit of money, um, otherwise last year, but long-term medium to long-term, this is the way to go. Customers love it and, and we will see the fruits.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I like I like that, and uh, it's an important an important pivot and shift for some companies. Uh, a number that I've uh, had the experience of working with as well to to uh, to go with that faith. And it can be quite hard to convince somebody sometimes to do that, as you say, when they're looking at the bottom line and they're thinking, "Well, we're not quite making enough enough profit." And mm. I suppose you know, would you be? Is it better to uh, employ less people on and pay them more than more people? being paid less yeah
2: i think you've, you've always gone for good people and they generally produce a lot more um the more generous you are to them so yeah i would say so
1: excellent we're gonna to go to commercial break and after the commercial break we're going to look at we're going to get playful after commercial break so uh, do do join us for a bit of playfulness and we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes
0: from the boardroom to you voice america business network The bottom line in business talk. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to
2: become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy.
0: You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Paul Hargreaves. We're talking about the fourth bottom line and we we discussed before the break. We we talked about vulnerability and we talked about uh, generosity. And I think both of those hugely valuable conversations and really important, really important. Let's talk about playfulness now. That was your third one, Paul. Yeah. Um, You know, what do you mean by becoming more, more playful in the workplace? And uh, I have seen, I think I'm with you. I think it's great. But I have seen people go over too far with it. So I'm interested to know whether, again, where the sweet
2: spot with playfulness is yeah i'd be interested to hear about that later but mm-hmm. um yeah i think um a sense of fun uh one of our values is, is have fun get it done <laughs> um yeah, so and i was really pleased actually just so someone we recruited start of uh covid after about six months um he he said to me um in in a meeting on my own with him and he said I've I've been to you know huge numbers of meetings now at Cotswold Fair with clients suppliers and internal meetings and he said there's never been a meeting when there hasn't been laughter Hmm. I thought fantastic you know Hmm. we've had some very serious meetings (laughs) with with, with big customers and actually um there's always laughter at our meetings which I absolutely love I think you know some of us can take ourselves too seriously um so the good sense of self-deprecating humor, which I'm, I've practiced for a number of years. <laughs> um, and I think there needs to be a sense of fun. Because you know if you want to come up with new ideas and be creative, there has to be that sense of yeah. fun. And I think the, the example I use in the, in the book is the well-known example of 3M, who ha- everyone had to play for, I think it was um, half a day a week at least, maybe a bit more um so there was no agenda they just had to play play around experiment and that's when their most successful invention happened when someone was trying to make some really strong glue uh, and it didn't work and uh but it was perfect for post-it notes and that's uh made them more money than anything else but that wouldn't have happened unless they had that kind of sense of play as part of their company culture
1: yes yes Yes. No, that, yeah, that makes uh, lots of sense. And uh, I mean, the, the works are so more, more enjoyable, isn't it? When you're having fun and uh, yeah, it makes people relax and mm. it, it can become more, more creative. I suppose the, you know, the, the, the line to draw is to um, ensure that it is self-deprecating and it's not, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where, where, I've, where I've seen it fail is where people have, mm. um, uh, it's not been self-deprecating and it's been uh, playful to the point of being rude about someone else. And I, I, I've seen that in, some workplaces, and, yeah. and actually, that's really degenerative and not helpful.
2: No, the 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 bust of the joke is always me if I'm uh, if I'm making a joke, <laughs> <laughs> and I do some very silly things, so it's not very difficult. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not silly things, not purposeful. Yeah, I did, I did think of a, a, a third book idea, um, which I haven't done yet. It was going to be called "An Idiot Abroad" because I'm very good at getting myself into ridiculously embarrassing situations when in, in other cultures. But um, more of that another time, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> i
1: have to do an interview on that. <laughs> so talk about, um, I think, collaboration and being, being collaborative. That just seems, you know, in a world at the moment where globally there doesn't seem to be that. There is, well, there's examples of collaboration, but there's also examples of absolutely not. Mm. Um you know, it just feels like, uh, we, you know, we need to be collaborating more with yeah that we do.
2: It's another thing we've got out of balance between the masculine and the feminine. And then, you know, the, bearing in mind boys are generally more masculine, and girls more feminine on the whole, not always. But um, if you go to a playground of a school, the boys are competing against each other mm. and the girls are working together generally is the way it goes. And because, again, there have been too many... Uh, too much masculine leadership. There's not been enough collaboration has been, you know, it's all about beating the other, you take a competitor, for example, it's all about beating the competitor. And in fact, I heard some person at this show, I was at this week talking in these terms, which really made me annoyed, but um, the whole motivation of the company was to smash their competitor. Well, (laughs) what, Um, you know, quite often if collaborating with your competitors uh which we we have done you both end up winning but that kind of mentality isn't isn't ex- in existence in in much of business um and we need to get away from this sense of if i win someone else loses it doesn't have to be like that um i mean simon Sinek's very good about uh, talking about this in uh, the infinite game and uh you know there don't have to be winners and losers in fact, it's silliness to talk about, you know, as a business at the end of the year, have you won this year? <laughs> well, won, I we haven't lost, but we're here. So, yeah, just let's, there's a lot more to be gained from collaborating than than competing. And uh, that's something we can get better at, I think, with more women in our boardrooms. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, that Yeah,
1: because that competition is uh... I don't know it's not it's not just with capitalism, is it? I mean, capitalism does uh, engender. Yeah, but it's a it's, and, uh, um, it's it's,
2: uh, you know, yeah, it, it comes from this yeah. very individualistic culture we have in the West. And, yeah. uh, you know, let's not go into it, but the uh, dualism that came in with Descartes and Bacon uh, and the Eastern countries tend to be much better at this than 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 we are. They think much more in terms of community way do in fact if you show if you ha- imagine a picture of a group of girls in a in a school say one of them's holding a balloon and looking happy and the five other girls around her are looking sad if you show that picture to Western children um, they talk about the girl if you ask them how the girl with the balloon is is she smiling just to remind you they say she's happy if you show that to Asian kids they say she's sad because the the concept of other people being around and being sad, even though she's smiling, they can't <laughs> comprehend that she could possibly be happy if she's got something that the others haven't got yeah. around her. So yeah, it's a totally different mindset again.
1: Yeah, I think you mentioned in your book there about uh, some some cultures where, where where you know it's frowned upon, just not to feel right for people to have a lot more possessions. Yeah, yeah, money and uh, yeah.
2: They would think we're completely mad. So, you know, the definition of success we have is to buy a big house with gates that you can lock and isolate yourself from the surrounding community. They would think we were mentally ill. Yeah. Well, they, th- they think we are mentally ill, actually. It's not they would. <laughs> they think we are. Um, yeah, the examples I used was, was I think, Ecuador and Indonesia, where they would consider if people aren't sharing that they're in need of um, some mental you know, they, they think they, they, they have a mental health problem. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've got so much to learn from other cultures. Um, yeah, yeah. Maybe,
1: they, maybe they do. Maybe we do. <laughs> uh, lots, lots, lots to think about. And then the final, the final one I think you mentioned was authenticity. Let's finish off with
2: with that. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it has been a bit overused of late, I think this word, but um, still, Still put it in the book. I think the people that I've met who are genuinely authentic are, you know, there's just a sense of depth about them. They're not pretending. They're not copying. They're just absolutely free to be themselves. And again, you know, I've met uh, people in, uh, in India who are, are like this. You know, they spend a lot of time on their own. Um, probably meditating and when, when they meet other people, um, come into the ashram, they just have a depth of, I don't know why well, I can't describe it really, but there's something about them it's because they've learned to be, a what I would call a being leader. So yes. uh, most of us, um, hope, there's three types of leaders on I mean, there's the egotistical ones. And hopefully we're not like that, but. I was a doing leader for many, many years. It's all based on productivity. Do, do, do. We've referred to it already today, all task based. I'm learning to be a being leader. I do a lot less now than I used to. I think I'm probably better leader than I used to be. What I do do is a lot more effective because there's more depth to it, more substance, and I'm not running around like a, a headless chicken. So I think this real authenticity is about depth of a person. I think you only get like that from reflecting and being quiet and thinking um spending time in nature and uh boy do we need to learn to do that yeah and again people did a bit more during covid didn't they enjoying walks in the countryside so maybe we have moved forward a bit in this but uh, i think we have still got a long way to go
1: and it's kind of i know i know myself if i do we talked about this a little bit earlier but if i do take the time and meditate. It's always beneficial, um, but often I'm too busy to do it. I feel like I am. It feels like, uh, you know, it feels like spending 15, 20 minutes on that is 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 um, is not doing enough because I've got a long list. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I know when I do make <laughs> that effort each time, it it, it yeah. always it always yields benefits during the day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. We we start our meetings actually with a a period of uh, five minutes of absolute silence. Maybe with a bit of music on, maybe not. Um, and and then we encourage people to say how they're feeling after yeah. the the silence. And uh, we I know we have shorter and better meetings because of that. Because people try and, you know, get rid of the stuff they're thinking of, empty your mind, and actually focus a lot better on the the meeting that we're in rather than having all this other stuff mm. going around in their heads.
1: Mm. Yeah, great, great work. Well, just an opportunity to get some stillness and
2: settle. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah I thoroughly recommend that. I think it's a great
1: idea, mm. That's a great idea. So, we've just got a, a couple of minutes left now. Um, final message before we leave the interview, I think,
2: I think probably you know, let's redefine our, our view of what success is. I think we have a, in our heads what success is, maybe not what success really is. I think for me, I've gone from you know, wanting to sell the business at one point and sit on a beach. Um, probably would have got bored anyway. Um, success for me now is about impacting as many people, communities as positively, positively as I can in, in the rest of my working life and, and beyond. So let's get out of our heads, the, the kind of very narrow Western sense of what success is and get more into what other cultures think success is, which is being known for being kind, caring, and loving, and making a positive difference.
1: Brilliant. I, I love that. It's a great way to end. I don't want to say an awful lot more because I couldn't do it any better. That's um, I think that summarizes summarises uh, the way we all need to move forward, really, if we can. So, uh, my recommendation to you is, um, you know, generally i generally have loved the book um so i would suggest to people have a have a go with it and see what you what you think um reflect on some of those chapters uh, deeply uh, reflect on yourself and, and as uh, paul mentioned you know it's this is about self-awareness which is the first first chapter become more self-aware because it's an inside job and it actually starts with us if we want to if we want to change others in the world we've got to keep on um uh, ele- you know elevating our own thinking and consciousness and kindness and caring and uh, that will attract other people i think so yeah. thank you uh, thank you everybody thank you thank you paul if you want to find out more about cotswold fair you can go to wwwcotswold fair that's c-o-t-s-w-o-r-l-d hyphen fair f-a-y-r-e.co.uk um also if you want to find out about b corp you can find that out at, at corporation um, bcorporation.net you'll, you'll be able to there's lots of information about b corp um for paul's book um go to a, a good online bookseller um one of paul's favorites is bookshop.org for fourth bottom line fourth bottom line uh, and uh, enjoy and uh, next week we're gonna have on the show uh, dr stephen levinson stephen's a a good friend of mine, I've not, um, I need to catch up with him because we've not spoken um, greatly for a little while, but we wrote a book together called The Power to Get Things Done, whether you feel like it or not. It came out end of 2015 16. Uh, and uh, I'm pleased that you know, thousands of people have read that and that hopefully picked up some ideas on how to get more of the things they want to done and overcome the obstacles, but also. Uh, whilst being a good person too um, so i'm going to catch up with um steve i need that after my um little my break actually to get myself back really fully energized on, on all cylinders and moving things really positive uh, forward so i can't wait to talk to steve he's a clinical psychologist from minnesota an inventor and author fascinating man and we'll share some of the some of the tips and thoughts from the book but also you know what has uh, come up you know since that book uh, for us about getting getting more done so once again, huge thank you to Paul Hargreaves.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: It's great, great to have you again, Paul. And uh, any questions, comments, do send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. I'm sure through um, the Cotswold Fair, if you need to reach out to Paul for something important, then uh, you can probably um, access him through there. So thank, thank you.
0: We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show.